0: This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, a podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. You can subscribe and download episodes wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can follow us on our social media pages. And while you're at it, I would love a review. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm your host, Jackie Pack. On today's episode, I wanted to introduce one of the family systems theory And But before I get started into that, I wanted to just talk about a couple things I've got, you know, in the works for the podcast and some things that I'm thinking about and probably some changes that will be coming up. So you may have noticed that I am releasing podcasts not as frequently as I have been in the past. Now, I realize for the past maybe more than a year, I'm not all that off my schedule, but prior to maybe the last year, year and a half, I feel like I was releasing them on a more regular basis. So I think a couple of things for me have changed. I think in the time that I have been doing the podcast, I think I'm at a place where I am spending a little bit more time on the content of the podcast. So some of the episodes are a little bit longer That also means the work that I am putting into the podcast is a little bit longer. And so I'm just not really able to, with other things I have going on, I'm not able to release weekly episodes. I hope that going into a little bit more depth and spending some time myself, putting a little bit more thought and research and work into the podcast content, I hope that you are noticing that and I hope that that is beneficial. That is my goal. The other thing that I have been thinking of doing, it's been a while since I've had guests on the podcast. And, you know, I'm always open to having guests on the podcast, whether that's talking about and sharing their story or interviewing them about, you know, whether it's other professionals and what they're doing, what they're interested in doing, that type of stuff. I'm also interested, you know, recording podcast episodes with guests. But I've been kind of tossing around in my head for a little bit the idea of maybe having, guest on the podcast episode, the same guest on a regular basis. And so I've talked to one of my colleagues. I've had her on the podcast before. And like I said, she's one of my colleagues, Rachel Allen. And I think we're going to start recording on a monthly basis. We're going to start recording a podcast episode. And it'll be a little informal. We'll be talking about, you know, whatever we, her and I talk a lot in between sessions or when we're at the office. So it'll be kind of the two of us yammering on about what we typically talk about. The other thing that I've got coming up that will be beginning this year, I am planning, along with Rachel and another one of our colleagues, we're planning to start a PhD program probably most likely in October. So a little bit later this year, although, you know, I've just learned the older I get, the faster time comes. So it'll be here before I know it. And so I also thought it would be Fun and interesting as we're going through a PhD program to be able to, you know, also talk about what we're learning and what we're researching, that type of stuff. So I'll have her on starting before October, uh, probably starting maybe this month, but for sure next month, I think. The other thing that I've been thinking about if I have Rachel on on a monthly basis is, you know, she knows me pretty well, she knows my story pretty well, I know her pretty well. I know her story pretty well. And it's not unusual for the two of us to get deep. And, you know, if we're just kind of pushing record and having a conversation, I would imagine that that's going to happen sometimes. And, you know, I've had the concern about just putting that out there on the internet in a way that anybody has access to it. And, you know, that, causes some concern for me, you know, some safety issues, or just, you know, I don't really want a lot of people, I I just don't want trolls having access to what would be considered for the two of us to be some vulnerable information and to have trolls just doing whatever, you know, they do with information. And so I have been thinking about starting a Patreon account and just putting those episodes as well as probably some other ones where I tend to get vulnerable, putting it behind a paywall. Again, it's you know not gonna be a high amount. I think, you know, I, I think usually paywalls start four or five dollars a month, something like that. And if you, you know, don't have that, don't want to do that, are frustrated with that, that's fine. I, you know, that's fine. Don't do that if that's gonna stress you out or if that is upsetting to you. That's totally fine. You don't need to, you know, support me or us in that way. But I just feel like for our own, I know it's not going to keep all the trolls out, but I feel like just, you know, to add an extra layer of caution, I I think I'm going to go ahead and do that and start a Patreon account for thanks for sharing and just put particularly those episodes, but maybe some other ones as well. I feel like in the last couple of episodes, I've gotten a little bit more vulnerable than in the past when I've been recording. And so I think that I will be doing that. So I will certainly make that announcement when Rachel and I are going to start recording. And I will make that announcement when I have a Patreon account set up and ready to go. So those are just some of the changes that are going to be coming to the podcast. And I hope that you find them beneficial. I think they will be. I think, you know, we can put some good content out there that way. So anyway, I hope that's beneficial. I will update everyone, all the listeners, when that is set and ready to go. So on today's episode, I wanted to talk about, like I said, I wanted to talk about one of the family systems theory. So the one I'm going to talk about today There's a couple of them. The one I want to talk about today is called structural family therapy. And structural family therapy, you know, in the history of the concept of enmeshment and disengagement, most of our understanding around structural family therapy comes from Salvador Mnuchin, who was the founder of Family Systems Theory and his team of researchers and clinicians back in the 60s now you may if you're a therapist you're listening to this maybe you've also you're thinking hey what about murray bowen also came up with a family systems theory i think he was prior to salvador Minuchin, and you know his i'll talk about that in a different episode he talked about his is kind of called bowenian family therapy i think that's the one it's most known by but i'm i'm going to talk about structural family therapy today and talk about a little bit about salvador Minuchin. So when his you know, researchers and clinicians were working with families back in the 60s, they discovered three different types of families. They put them into three different categories. So they identified healthy families, disengaged families, and enmeshed families. Now, one of the distinguishing factors between these types of families had to do with boundaries. I'm gonna talk about that a little bit later in this podcast episode. And they identified on the one hand that in Amesh families, boundaries were diffuse. So diffuse meaning not really clearly delineated. The boundaries were too permeable. They weren't like they didn't really serve a purpose because they weren't strong enough. They categorized a mesh families as having overinvolvement. Also, sometimes people would call these families centripetal families as opposed to centrifugal families. Central peel families, meaning that there's forces pushing people inwards instead of outwards. In disengaged families, boundaries tended to be rigid and restrictive. And these boundaries often led to disengagement or distance in relationships, or, you know, they kind of had a subsystem in the family where members tended to be isolated from each other. Disengaged or, you know, another word for that is detached families are often described as having little to nothing to share. Now they might have things to share, but they aren't going to be sharing them because there's a distance in the relationships they are not feeling necessarily close. And also that there's little communication and not a lot of flexibility in family patterns that would typically lead to effective support and guidance for the members of the family, particularly kids. Now structural family therapy is rooted in systems theory and family systems theory. There's three foundational constructs of structural family therapy. They talked about structural subsystems and boundaries, and that family structure is essentially the way a family is organized. Their interactions are regulated by their boundaries, and they found that families typically develop patterns or patterned ways of interacting with each other and it was reinforced by family members' expectations. Now, family units in structural family therapy are separated into various subsystems. And Mnuchin described subsystems as being made up of individual entities. And he would explain like the dyads between them by typically using the analogy of a husband and wife. He talked about how these subsystems might be based on generation, generational, uh, ways of being; they could be based on gender, and then they were also based on function. Now, it's important to note that families hierarchy in structural family therapy that members of a family could have different amounts of authority and reciprocal or complementary functions based on the family's dynamics. Minuchin found that problems are maintained in a family system due to dysfunction and that dysfunction in a family structure can be caused by enmeshed or disengaged boundaries. That would also describe the type of family, whether it's an enmeshed family or a disengaged family. And Mnuchin talked about boundaries as invisible barriers ranging from, like I talked about, rigid to diffuse, and that boundaries regulated the contact with each other in the family system. So rigid boundaries are those that are restrictive, and limit one's contact with outside subsystems, while diffuse boundaries are non-restrictive and contact with outside subsystems is not limited. So a family who presents with boundaries on the extreme of either end of the spectrum, disengaged or a mesh, we're going to be seen to develop problematic patterns of interaction. Now in structural family therapy, normal family development, is not characterized by a lack of problems. So in healthy family systems, it's not that healthy family systems were problem-free, but instead these families had developed a functional structure for dealing with their problems. So one of the things we talk about is that in healthy family systems, again, no family system is 100% healthy or problem-free, but in healthy family systems, They are adaptive and they're flexible. And so throughout the lifespan, families will, you know, encounter various struggles depending on different developmental stages or situational crises that arrive. They also found that part of a normal family development is to establish a functional hierarchy that also then can adapt to change. So maybe initially, you know, you've got the hierarchy of parents, but the older that the kids get, they have more input they have more involvement their ideas are more considered and implemented as part of the family Minuchin also said that it's normal for families to experience anxiety and disruption as kids grow and change and family members grow and change and he warned clinicians not to mistake growing pains for pathology now Minuchin's model of structural family therapy began as a way of identifying and treating problems within family systems. And he believed that problems were not individually based, but instead were a function of the family's homeostasis, that all families would move towards a homeostasis or a balance. And again, that's gonna look different in a healthy or adaptive flexible family system. Their homeostasis in a disengaged family system is gonna look different. And homeostasis in a enmeshed family system going to look different one of the things that i have found working with families or with individuals who are part of families as we all are is that that homeostasis is kind of a inherent i mean it's not inherent like it's we're born with it but it's shaping us and we know it we know it even if it's never spoken even if you know we're not told like hey let's move towards homeostasis or our family system is unbalanced, let's move back towards what we feel like is a comfortable balance. Family members just kind of feel that and will respond accordingly. Now, Mnuchin had basic assumptions of family. So structural family therapists tend to assume the following. They assume that families are capable and competent in solving their issues, that rigid or enmeshed boundaries will prevent closeness and growth, in its individual family members. The individual systems are often a result of the entire family system and not just the individual. That each family has subsystems which hold on to different levels of power and all families want homeostasis, which is that sense of stability It makes the family feel stable and balanced like I was saying. So for structural family therapies when they're looking at the hierarchy of power, they believe that all families have a hierarchy of power, that in healthy systems, the parents or the caregivers hold the authority, meaning they decide what's best for their children, and then they work as a united team to instill boundaries. But as we know, this hierarchy isn't the case for all families. In some family systems, children seem to run the house, parents kind of running along behind, maybe begging kids to do what they want them to, But ultimately the kids call the shots and the kids make the rules and parents seem to fall helpless to the demands of the kids. In other households, maybe only one parent has all the power and they are not united as a team. The other parent who doesn't have the power might become subservient to the other parent, which can result in a lopsided structure. Children could feel afraid of the powerful parent. I also find that children may have a disrespect, for the subservient parent, the powerful parent might use threats, hostility, or even violence to maintain their role and to maintain their power. And then that whoever holds power is the one who's ultimately making the decisions. If the power consistently fluctuates, then it would leave family members feeling confused and untethered. And they found that this is especially true for children. That without consistency they don't understand which rules they need to follow. Sometimes the rules depend on the day or they depend on the week and that kids might rebel or start to defy their parents if this pattern of inconsistency persists. Now let's talk for a minute about boundaries and how structural therapists and structural family systems theory looks at boundaries. So structural family therapists measure dysfunction based on boundaries and how family members adapt to different stressors or maybe don't adapt to different stressors. So again, in functional families, like I said, family members are flexible, they're adaptable, and they're fairly easygoing. They tend to have clear boundaries, but they can also adjust these limits as needed. Dysfunctional families, on the other hand, which both enmeshed family systems and disengaged family systems fall under that umbrella as dysfunctional. So dysfunctional families, on the other hand, tend to have either rigid or overly enmeshed boundaries. Like I've said, rigid boundaries tend to be strict and inflexible. In these households, members are expected to follow certain beliefs without question. Now, these beliefs can include anything from religious affiliation, to food preferences, to what kind of occupation the children should aspire to have. Rigid family systems rarely support individual thought and instead members are accepted by their willingness to conform to the status quo or the expectations of the family system or those with a hierarchy, probably parents. In a mesh family systems, the boundaries are often blurred or they're non-existent or they're so loose that they're not really functional some signs of enmeshment that structural family therapists have identified include family members taking on the emotions of other family members you know i see this a lot sometimes when i'm talking with clients about their emotions you know maybe they're people pleasers that would be a sign of taking on the emotions of other family members you know sometimes when i used to work with or sometimes still when i do i used to work with more of a family system, younger kids, maybe young teens or teens. And I try to get the parents in as well to work on that. And, you know, sometimes I might hear one or both of the parents talking about like, you make me feel, right? That's kind of a, I mean, I think that's actually quite common. I Something I hear parents say, you make me feel so sad, or you make me feel whatever, fill in the blank. And I mean, that's a classic way of a meshing where, you know, and and sometimes I would correct them and just say, hey, you know, other people can't make you feel something, not denying that you might feel sad or that you might feel afraid based on your child's choices. But those are your feelings. Those are your emotions. And you need to work through that. You need to own that. And then you need to start working through that and not necessarily use that to try to get your child to do what you want them to do. Another sign of enmeshment can look like feeling like you're not allowed to be close to people outside the family. You know, sometimes you know if the if the kids are growing up and starting to you know have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, the family system or I mean it may not be two parents in the family, but the family system is going to start to feel neglected, right? Instead of that being a normal part of growing up and celebrated and the family being open and welcoming to the outsider, the family system wants that loyalty to them and to them first, always. And so outsiders or people that they might form a friendship with, friends, like I said, romantic partners, they're going to be seen as more of a threat to the family system, to the closeness that enmeshed family systems tend to think that they have. Another sign of ameshment is spending all of your free time with one another. So the family, you know, even if there's free time, they are doing all of that together as a family and not necessarily, you know, like this family member goes with this friend and this family member goes with a. Girlfriend and mom is doing this. Like they tend to, if there is free time, the whole family system needs to be spending time together. Often there's not really a sense of privacy in a mesh family systems. Again, you know, like a closed door or a lock on the phone can be seen as, you know, parents might have too loose of boundaries around that. And so there's not really a sense of privacy. Also, sometimes, you know, parents might too openly talk about problems in the marriage or problems with, you know, if there's a divorce in the family, they're too open in sharing the information about divorce or around why the, the divorce happened. And it's not really age appropriate for the kids. Now, sometimes kids are pretty used to that and it gives them a sense of power knowing that or having access to that information. So sometimes that can be a little bit hard to try to set some functional boundaries around. You know, the the kids might not like that um, restriction to power and parents may feel like there's nothing wrong with sharing this information with their children. Another sign of enmeshment is parents seeking their child's approval. You know, sometimes it's that like, my child is not just my child, but they're my best friend, or, you know, leaning on the child for emotional support. Those are going to be signs of enmeshment. And then the other one is, you know, an over-involvement. We're over-involved in each other's lives. And I usually add to this one that there's also maybe a sense of entitlement that like you have to consider my opinion in this. Like I'm going to get over-involved in your life and you have to do something with that. Like not just that I'm sharing with you what I think and you can take what fits and leave the rest and that's fine. We're just having a conversation, but that I'm going to tell you what you need to do and then my expectation is that is what you do. So those are some signs that structural family therapists identified as some signs of an Amesh family. Now, enmesh families can often appear to the outside world as being very close. They can also on the inside of that family system sometimes they they often feel like we're really close and so sometimes it can be challenging to discern that there's actually problems here but oftentimes enmeshment does lead to struggles with identity decisiveness assertiveness again usually there's more people pleasing that happens i also find that you know with enmeshment sometimes when i've worked with clients like this or you know sometimes my kids have dated people from a mesh family systems or had some friends with a mesh family systems one of the things i also find is that they have a hard time trusting what they feel or they have a hard time trusting what they see and so you know they might see that like oh this person loves me or this person is a good friend to me they care about me but internally they might struggle like but do they really so you know sometimes in a mesh family systems again it's it can be hard to discern even for the members of the family it can be hard for them to discern you know i i think also a mesh family systems have a tendency to dismiss any of the issues they might be feeling within this the family system they tend to dismiss that and so it can be hard for them to, you know, kind of see the dysfunction in their family system. Now in a mesh family systems, the boundaries tend to be reciprocal. And so they're going to have ongoing ripple effects. For example, a mom who's extremely close with her daughter who gets married may never really develop that relationship with a husband. You know, they're an outsider and I don't know how to connect with your husband. But I don't want you leaving me. And so we have those enmeshment rules where maybe the daughter's still calling mom every day or taking parent advice or the, you know, the grandma, we would say it's now the grandma of the mother's and you know, her new husband's children, that grandma is overly involved in the parenting as well. Or on the other hand, let's say a father maybe is enmeshed with his son. You know, let's say the father's enmeshed with oldest son, so the younger son could become quite anxious, depressed, and even angry and start to rebel and go down a road of pushing back against the family system because they don't know what their role is or how they fit into the hierarchy. Another um, term that comes from structural family therapy, although it's also in other family therapy or other family systems theories, is triangulation. Now, triangulation happens when one family member tries to use something or someone else to pit against another family member. So, you know, maybe mom is drawing in son as an ally, right? And then the two of them team up against sister or the two of them team up against brother or dad, you know? And in that way, they're triangulating each other. Sometimes too, it looks like, you know, They talked about triangulation in terms of if there's tension between two people one of the ways to ease the tension is to bring in a third right so now we have this triangle because we have three people and so it eases the tension of at least two of the people bringing in the third sometimes the child is kind of stepping in to moderate or try to play referee Uh, maybe a parent is always stepping in when two siblings disagree which means you know the siblings don't really have a chance to work through and solve their conflicts and at times you know they might even attempt to like clients can attempt to triangulate therapists if you've got a couple and they're bringing the therapist in to triangulate and not talk directly to each other because that's where it escalates the tension but instead when they're both kind of talking to the therapist. I've had that example where they're fighting through me instead of actually talking to each other, they're talking to me, but it's like jabs at the other person. Another term that comes up from family systems theory is parentified children. So parentified children don't always result from dysfunctional families, but it also is not uncommon that one or maybe more, but usually one child is parentified. Now in cases of parentification, The parents often are relying on the child to provide ongoing emotional or physical support for themselves. I don't know if you remember, well, if you're old enough to remember the show, was it Silver Spoons with Ricky Schroeder and his dad was like this great big kid and, you know, super wealthy and buying all these toys and not really functioning like a parent and not really functioning like an adult. And so in that situation, in that comedy show, which, you know, if you ever look back and watch that and you're not a kid, it's a little bit painful, I think, to watch because the parentification of the child is just so apparent. So sometimes, you know, the child is put more in an adult role in terms of providing emotional or support for a parent. You know, maybe it's physical support. If there's younger siblings, sometimes they're also caring for younger siblings. Parentification may also look like a a parent sharing their emotional problems, their emotional concerns, maybe sharing their marital problems with their child. You know, maybe they are expecting the child to start working in the family business when they're too young to have a job, but it's kind of this like, hey, I need you. And because you're part of the family system, you have to step in and start to work at a very young age. Now sometimes parentified children often will grow up seeming overly mature or wise for their age. They might get along more so with adults because they seem like small adults themselves. Unfortunately, even though parentified children present as responsible, they often tend to feel misunderstood and they tend to have high rates of insecurity. You know, they were kind of robbed of their childhood and had to grow up too soon and put in this place of taking care of others when initially it should have been reversed. They should have been taken care of. You know, sometimes I interact with whether it's through my kids or sometimes with younger clients and I get that this sense of, you know, maybe they're 20, but emotionally they don't quite feel That age. And I would say that's usually because of some neglect. Parentified children, on many levels, have been neglected. You know, if they are caring for younger siblings or caring for one parent that has enmeshed with them, they're not necessarily getting the nurturing or the teaching or the guidance and support that they need to grow up and develop into an adult. And so I think that's often where the Insecurity, or the, you know, I mean, it's, it can also be, I mean, they can present with this maturity and wisdom. And also, when you look a little bit closer, there's not actual maturity because it didn't come organically, it didn't develop in normal developmental ways. So, in this podcast episode, I kind of want to talk about the structural family systems and I want to talk about the concepts in them. And then I'm going to do, depending on how much material I get, I might do one more podcast episode where I talk a little bit more in depth about enmeshed family systems, disengaged family systems, and how to make some of those changes into more of a healthy, adaptive, flexible family system. Or I might do individual ones on enmeshment and how to move from enmeshed into more healthy, adaptable, flexible and how to move from disengaged into more healthy, adaptable, flexible. So it just kind of depends on the resources that I find and how much you know I wanna put into the podcast episode, how much time I don't wanna record a three hour episode. So I might break them up into two different podcast episodes. So I'll still wait and see. I've kind of got some of them started in the background. As I was working on this one, I was also putting stuff in documents for the other ones. So we'll see how that turns out. I'm not exactly sure at this point. So let's just summarize, take a break, and let's summarize. We have three main categories that Mnuchin and his colleagues developed and provided us with. So we have a mesh family systems, we have disengaged family systems, and then we have healthy or adaptive flexible family systems. A MASH family systems tend to be overinvolved. There's a pressure to conform to the status quo of the family. And there's anxiety about distance. Disengaged tends to be a little bit more indifferent. They tend to be detached and disengaged and not as responsive to what's happening amongst family members, right? There's, there's a lot of distance in the family, and so there's not a lot of responsiveness. We may not even know what's happening with mom and dad, or mom and dad may not know what's happening with you, whereas healthy and adaptive family systems are described as having close bonds and flexibility. In healthy and adaptive family systems, there's a balance between the needs of the family system and the needs of the individuals. So in disengaged family systems, there's maybe a default to too much on individuals, but you're also responsible to meet your needs and wants as an individual and in a mesh family systems there's the default is too much loyalty or too much responsibility to the family system and not to the individual family members also in healthy and adaptive family systems there's relatively low anxiety about distance or disagreement that's seen as maybe part of development And parents are adaptive and flexible when kids go through stages where maybe they want to distance a little bit or they disagree with something in the family system. And, you know, the parents can be adaptive to that and also keep them somewhat engaged, but also be adaptive to the needs. Now, one of the things that I find that is hard for people, I think people have a hard time figuring out if their family is healthy and adaptive or if it's enmeshed. And I see this a lot with the clients that I work with. And it was to be honest, it was confusing for me initially when I was learning to become a therapist and I was starting to do my own work and starting to look at the family that I grew up in. Now just a note for therapists who are listening or, you know, maybe therapists in training who are listening, these issues around our family of origin are the basis for our countertransference. You know, so in therapy we talk about transference you know, what clients come into the session with and project onto the therapist. And then counter transference is what comes up for the therapist from their own story and their own background that they then project back onto the client. So our family system and the issues in our family system tend to be the basis or the origin source for our counter transference issues. And I think, you know, I mean, it's, it's talked about, I think it used to be talked about, I think this was changing shortly after I entered the field, you know, kind of, I mean, when I entered the field, they would talk about countertransference, but they talked about it more in a way of like, don't do it. And I've seen that evolve in the time that I've been in the field, where there's just an acknowledgement that, you know, therapists are human and therapists have their own issues. And so just be aware of countertransference. talking to people about it, whether you have to have supervision for your licensure or not, it's good to stay in consultation with other people so that you can bring up and talk about the countertransference that maybe is coming up for you. So I I think there's been some reduction in the stigma around countertransference, which I think is a positive thing. But if we haven't done our own work, if we haven't particularly done our own work around our own family of origin and the things that are likely to pop up in our own counter transference, that's gonna get in the way of our ability to see clients accurately and handle clients and treat them effectively. I don't find very often that therapists, that very many therapists come from healthy and adaptive systems, although it is possible. And I actually think I know some therapists who come from some pretty healthy and adaptive family systems. I don't find that it goes back generations of healthy and adaptive, you know, but I do think I know some therapists who the direct family that they grew up in tended to be more healthy and adaptive. Now, I also find that for a lot of my clients, when they're starting out in therapy, most of them tend to believe that their family was close, that their family was not dysfunctional. But usually after further work on themselves and starting to increase their own awareness and exploration It isn't uncommon for clients to kind of circle back to their previous beliefs about the family they grew up in and whether or not the family system was healthy. Now, I think it's hard to admit that your family was messed up. And like I said, there are certainly families that aren't messed up. Uh, Based on the numbers, Mnuchin believed it was about a third, a third and a third. So you had about a third of the families who were disengaged. You had about a third of the families who were enmeshed and you had about a third of the families who were healthy and adaptive. I also think every family has its own issues and Mnuchin took that into account and, and his colleagues took that into account that, you know, every family is going to have growing pains. Every family is going to learn by being in a family system. And like he said, we we should not mistake growing pains for pathology. And you know, sometimes I think we talk about, I think I said this in the podcast episode I did on attachment. We talk about these categories as though they're a little bit more black and white. Like, you know, here is a disengaged family system, here is an enmeshed family system. Here's a healthy family system. And I think we tend to do that. We talk about them in terms of categories to help give an understanding of the concept. But then we have to look at and take into account the complexity of human beings and sometimes the messiness of human beings and recognize that it's not that cut and dry and it's not that organized all the time. Now, sometimes you know, I've worked with people who, yes, they come from a classic a mesh family system. And, and sometimes a mesh family systems, you know, I've had clients ask me before, can you come from parents who are both a meshed and disengaged? And and typically we would say, not not really. I mean, you could have, you know, I, I think if, if I'm just sharing a little bit of my family of origin, I would say I had a very disengaged father. He didn't really fit the rigid boundaries or restrictive boundaries because He wasn't there. He was was so distant that, you know, he just didn't have boundaries. But when he was home, he was unpredictable, you know, which is why I think so much of my time growing up, I just, if I was home, I tended to just be in my room, especially if he was home. Because if he was home and you kind of came out and about, it could easily explode. Now, when we're talking about a family systems disengaged family systems, we're not necessarily, you know, like sometimes we're looking at this concept understanding that other concepts can be layered on top of that. So that's also going to account for some of the complexity. So, you know, I think my father was quite disengaged, but we're not necessarily that, saying that disengaged family systems are abusive like physically or verbally and emotionally abusive or that there's physical like violence, we're not necessarily saying that that is a sign of disengaged family systems. It could be, but it could also happen in a mesh family systems. So I would say that's another layer that we're putting on top of that. Now, a couple episodes ago, I talked about childhood emotional neglect. I would say that's another layer that we're not necessarily talking about in enmeshed family systems or disengaged family systems. I think it happens. I think there is childhood emotional and neglect in disengaged family systems as well as in enmeshed family systems, but it is going to look differently based on the type of family system. So some families might have a tendency towards enmeshment. You know, they might be 80% enmeshed and 20% disengaged. Or you could have a dad who is quite disengaged or a mom who's quite disengaged. I mean, I don't wanna make it look like it's a gender issue that the genders tend to skew one way or the other. You could have a dad who's quite disengaged and a mom who's going to then be overly enmeshed. Now I do find that there's something about enmeshment for people in the families that come from enmeshed families that can make it really hard to see the enmeshment, or like I said, to see the dysfunction. Now, I think a big reason for that is because when you're in an enmesh family, as a child, it helps not to think for yourself too much. It helps to not apply a critical eye. And it also helps not to have bad thoughts about your family. I think for most kids, you know, in order to protect their psyche, they have to have a belief that at least one of their parents, is healthy. And so I I think even for kids where they're coming from a more disengaged family system, you know, at too young of an age, they're not going to be able to understand like, hey, you're too distant from me, you're too disengaged from me, and that's not good for me. You know, they're not going to apply a critical eye to that either. But I think sometimes, at least in my experience, when I'm working with somebody from a disengaged family system, it's not too hard to talk them into the dysfunction. Again, I'm not talking them into the dysfunction, but that kind of sounded bad the way I framed that. I'm not talking them into the dysfunction, but I, when I start pointing it out, it's not a big leap for them to be like, oh yeah, that, there was things missing. Whereas sometimes when I'm working with somebody from an Amesh family system, again, they might think, no, my, my parents were good. My parents took care of me. We were close. We are close as a family. And you know, to me, the distinction between enmeshment and closeness is that enmeshed family systems, you don't have a choice if you're close. In healthy and adaptive close family systems, we have a choice as to how close we are. Distance, like I said, distance and disengagement isn't seen as a threat. Whereas in enmeshed family systems, you know, starting to move into romantic relationships, that's going to be seen as a threat to the Amesh family system. So I think sometimes it's harder for people coming from Amesh family systems to see the dysfunction. And you're kind of having to talk them out of some things in order to start to work with them and move them towards some healthiness. I think sometimes if you're in an Amesh family, also, another thought I have is, you might learn that if you have your own thoughts or if you start to evaluate your family critically, you're gonna see some bad things. You're gonna to start to see the dysfunction and what are you supposed to do then, right? You're supposed to move out on your own, you're supposed to just be independent and navigate this big scary world all by yourself. So I don't know that it's helpful for us to see our family dysfunction too young or too early in our life. I think it can cause some emotional damage at the very least And it can lead to other dysfunctions or other anxiety-provoking situations with our family that then we're looking at maladaptive coping mechanisms coming in to help us cope with that. So, you know, I think we tend to learn as a child that it's just better that we don't recognize the fact that our family has issues, that our family has some dysfunctions. And, you know, to me, sometimes when I'm thinking about it or, you know, I had a situation with one of my daughters recently and we were having a discussion her boyfriend of about a year and a half broke up and we we're kind of discussing you know again when I when my kids are dating people I don't want to come across as being a therapist to my daughters I don't want to look like I'm diagnosing boyfriends or anything like that and and for the most part I you know I have to tell myself I trust the job that I did as a parent and what their gauge of normal is. And so they're going to have to explore some things. They're going to have to learn some things. But I was talking with this particular daughter. Um, I would say he came from an, an enmeshed family system. And I think he was starting to see the enmeshment. But that's a that's a hard time, right? Like, I, I mean, I think for me, I think ultimately, even though my dad was very disengaged, On the other hand, I feel like mom was enmeshed. And so I would say overall, I came from an enmeshed family system. I don't think mom enmeshed with me. I think part of that, maybe I don't have the temperament for that, or at least between my mom's temperament and my temperament, it wasn't a good match to enmesh. I also think for me now, sometimes, like I talked about with parentification, for some people in a mesh family systems, the parentification is part of the enmeshment. I feel like for me, I was definitely parentified, but I feel like that was also one of the reasons my mom did not enmesh with me. I feel like me being parentified, well, I'll say it this way, I think me being parentified actually contributed to me being the least favorite child. So, you know, she had other people to choose from in the family system, and it wasn't gonna be me. And I don't know that I had the temperament to a mesh with her, with at least with her and her temperament. But overall I still came from a, a mesh family system and I can feel the mesh rules in me. And even, you know, now my mom's passed away she's been you know gone for over eight years sometimes when you know we're together as siblings the six of us I still feel that enmeshment and it's hard for me so anyway that's something about me right but I was talking with my daughter about the situation and you know she was asking me you know because I think he was becoming aware of some of the dysfunction maybe I should say he was becoming as aware as he could for his age. And she was asking me, you know, cause I mean, again, he, it's okay. He broke up with her, that happens. You have to let people break up with you, right? We had that discussion and she wasn't, you know, she's not the kind to beg somebody to be in a relationship with them. And, you know, I never advise that to beg somebody to stay with you. And so she was letting him go. It got a little complicated with mom getting involved so again another sign of the enmeshment but you know she was saying to me i i'm concerned for him and do you think he will continue to make sense of what he was starting to make sense of and again for me i'm like i don't he's 20. i mean enmeshment dynamics are pretty complex dynamics and i just said i I don't know, I'm, I'm 52, I'm still articulating and finding the language to describe my enmeshment family system, and I've done therapy a lot. So I said, I, I just think it's hard to make sense of that. You know, like, again, if, if we have that need as kids, if possible, to protect ourselves by not seeing the dysfunction, What does it take, you know, for that denial to fall from the kid or the adult kid, the kid who's become an adult? What does it take for them to see the dysfunction, to see the enmeshment as a dysfunction and to then pursue that and keep pursuing that so that hopefully they can be healthy, right? Or they can have healthy relationships. I mean, I think it takes time. It's not something that just happens because we become an adult at the age of 18, you know, and I was telling her even at 20, you know, 20 year olds are such a baby in the adult world. Not not anything. I'm not trying to diss on any 20 year olds, but, you know, the adult world is loud and noisy and complex. And, you know, I I feel like that's asking a two year old to, you know, do all the things that's just not possible. You know, and like I said, I think it's hard to admit to yourself that your family actually wasn't that healthy, that there was some pretty severe dysfunction. Now, I also tend to find that for kids who grew up in disengaged families, maybe they can, this is different disengaged family systems, they, maybe they can see the dysfunction and they're more likely to maybe be open to the harmful impact that it had on them growing up in a disengaged family system than kids who grew up in an Amesh family system because you know it's not like kids coming from an Amesh family system are going to mistakenly think that they were close they're typically not going to think that they were close they're not going to typically think that their parents who in a mesh family systems are over involved you know from disengaged family systems they're not going to think like yeah my parents did a really good job i mean they might think that initially but It's not too hard to get them to start to see and understand where things needed to happen that didn't. So I I think they tend to be, as adults, they tend to be a little bit more open to the idea that they needed some things to happen throughout their childhood, and those things just didn't happen. I talked about in the episode on childhood emotional neglect, that I think sometimes in disengaged family systems, You know, the needs of the kids aren't typically met, often because maybe the parents aren't aware that the kids have wants or needs, right? We're not talking about malicious parents or parents who intended to have a negative impact on their children. Maybe they came from a disengaged family system and maybe they've improved, you know, from the system they came from. They have more means or they are better providers than what they got. And they might think I'm doing a great job, right? But they're just not aware that there's this emotional stuff that kids greatly need and they're not aware of that and they wouldn't necessarily know how to engage on that level. Now, I wanna talk for a minute because I mentioned that in a mesh family systems, you know, to the outside world, often they look close. And even on the inside, that can be the experience of family members from a mesh family systems, is that my family was close. Like I said, I think there's a big difference between enmeshment and closeness. And the distinction for me is you know, there's choice involved in real closeness or genuine closeness, and there's not really choice when we're talking about enmeshment. But I also think it's a little more complex than sometimes what we think about. So maybe. Maybe this was your family, maybe you know somebody like this where, you know, their family seems close and, you know, they, they talk about the importance of family closeness. Maybe they talk to their parents every day on the phone and depending on what is normal for you, you could look at that and think, wow, that's a meshment right there. That's t- total over-involvement because, you know, maybe you talk to your parents once a month or once a year or you know, every so often, but it's not on a regular basis. And so this much talking can seem like a dead giveaway that this family is definitely enmeshed. Well, not necessarily. That could be a healthy family system that is close. There's really no way to know just by looking at the frequency of communication or let's say the frequency of family get-togethers. And we can't really make the determination just from the outside looking in. You know, the difference is the emotional communication about those behaviors. So, okay, what does that mean? The emotional communication about the behaviors. Well, when a family is just close, let's say they're healthy and adaptive, there's good bonds, they are close. They might be involved in each other's lives or they not might not be too involved in each other's lives. They might only talk every so often, but that's just not the indication about enmeshment or disengagement, right? The frequency of how often families are connecting or talking or spending time together. And I think it's important to be clear about this because I think it can be really easy to judge a different family system than your own based on what is normal or comfortable for you. And again, it's just a little more complex than that. We can't just look at a family in terms of their behavior or what we see, we observe as their behavior and decide what category they belong in typically you have to spend some time inside the emotional field of the family to get a feel for what type of family they are you know so as a as a therapist i'm i'm asking a lot of questions about my client's family family of origin the family they have now also they're sharing that that's not uh, abnormal for clients to be sharing that and so i i feel like i you know, not off the bat. I'm not determining that off the bat. But, you know, I get to know my clients fairly well, and I feel like I spend some time in that emotional field of their family and start to get a feeling for, you know, what type of family system this is. You know, I, I would say if you marry into a family system and you're spending some time in the emotional energy field of that family system, Again, if, if you know what type of family system you came from, so that you can say, okay, here's my normal, here's my baseline, here's what I'm comfortable with, and I need to keep that into account because I'm gonna be having my own biases when looking at this new family system. You know, we can start to get a feel for what that family system is like. Also, we'll pick up on what emotional messages are going on within the family, sometimes more so than the family members. You know, they because I think, Particularly with enmeshment, the messaging can be pretty subtle, but it's also pretty clear and pretty, um, there's high expectations around it. You know, so some of the questions I'm asking myself are what's, what's the emotional messaging going on within the family? You know, does this individual get to be a person and does the family adapt for what they want or need or is what they want and need dependent on what the family has decided they want and need? You know, do they bring in, if this person is married or dating somebody or whatever, do they bring them in as part of the family? Or are they more resistant to that? You know, is there certain pressures to conform or to do things? Is there undue pressure? Is there intolerance of certain behaviors that we might call individuation? We know that differentiation or another word for that is individuation are present in a healthy family where you'll have you know good bonds and again they can be frequently involved in each other's lives but it's flexible and it doesn't cost the person their individuation to participate in this family system so okay let's make that clear again this distinction between Healthy family systems where there's closeness. And the closeness that I've described in Amesh families is that in Amesh families, closeness isn't really a choice. In Amesh families, there tends to be emotional messaging and pressure put on the individuals in the family to be close, to stay close. You know, your number one loyalty is to family, and particularly family of origin. And individuating is seen as a threat to the overall family system where the identity of the family is prioritized over the identity of individuals that make up the family so in this way enmeshed families can also be inflexible and they can be rigid and you know like i said the kids needs in disengaged families typically aren't met maybe parents don't have an idea of what those additional needs are besides you know food clothing place to live maybe even you know extracurricular activities that you're involved in in enmeshed family systems we would also say the wants and needs of the kids are also not met but it's different from disengaged family systems in enmeshed systems the wants and needs of the kids are seen as family needs or parent needs but not necessarily individual needs so as a therapist when i'm working with a client who was enmeshed with a parent growing up. The rules of enmeshment, like I said, they're they're rigid and they're strong, they're powerful. So this is some of what I also mean by emotional messages. Sometimes the rules are spoken, but often I find they're just understood and they don't have to be spoken in order for family members to comply or to get back in line with the expectations of enmeshment. So within enmeshed families, they can be inflexible, They can look like and feel like a loving family to the outside world. And again, sometimes that's confused on the inside. On the inside, you know, there is love, but there's also a requirement and there are strings attached to that love. Sometimes, you know, I might be talking with clients and they might say, well, I know my parents love me. And I'm not questioning that. I think most parents love their kids, but they also have this awareness that it was conditional On the enmeshment or it was conditional on them complying with certain things that was the role they played in the family on them continuing to comply with these rules of enmeshment now often one of those conditions of enmeshment is that the family is prioritized at a higher level than the self and there's a significant lack of balance there I'm gonna get into that more in a different episode on enmeshment so again it's complicated when I talk to families about or when i talk to clients about it it's complex it's hard for us to see up front i again i just want to say again it's it's hard to admit the dysfunction of your family system maybe you're one of the fortunate third or two yeah third where you came from a more healthy and adaptive family system you know i also think i have seen and i think it's possible where if you came from a disengaged family system There might be a longing for closeness, but you could overcorrect and go to the opposite extreme and become enmeshed in the family system. Um, Or maybe in your family system, the enmeshment felt somewhat smothering as you get into adulthood and it feels very enmeshed. And so in your family system, you're promising yourself that you're not going to do the same thing and you tend to be a little bit more disengaged rather than a meshed. So again, I I think it's important to know there's a third option, there's a middle balance, there's a stable place in the middle, and we'll be talking a little bit more about that. You know, I think the last estimate I read or saw is there's about 2 billion families across the planet. So I just wanna say again, the chance that everyone fits neatly into one of these three categories is silly, and some families are gonna have mixtures and it's not really the categorization, that's not necessarily the point. It's helpful, if it's helpful, it's helpful. But the point is to understand what the anxieties are in a family system, how the family copes with it and how they organize around the anxiety of the system. And I also think it's important to say that usually when families have dysfunction, They tend to have a majority of their coping skills in one category or the other, but not always. Some family members can be more disengaged. Some family members can be more enmeshed. I would say in my family system, again, if I'm looking at kind of carving my dad out because he was not part of the enmeshed family system, well, I think his disengagement pushed my mom further towards enmeshment with the kids. I also will say, I I also think it's very hard if the marriage is healthy, I think it's hard to lean towards disengaged with kids or enmeshed with kids. But so I I think some of my dad's disengagement pushed my mom towards enmeshment, but I would say overall in my family system, I was probably a little more disengaged, not in the way that I was parentified. I was parentified and played a parent role not for either of my parents. I wasn't parentified with one of them. I wasn't in a caretaking role. Although I mean, I think my mom shared too much information about the dysfunction of the marriage and the worries and concerns that she carried. But she did that with all of us. She just openly would talk about that. So I wasn't necessarily parentified with my mom or dad, but I was parentified with my four younger siblings. And so, like I said, some family members can be a little bit more disengaged. Some family members can be more enmeshed. Temperament, personality definitely plays a part in that. I think birth order can also play a part in that. I think me being the second child made me more likely to be parentified in terms of taking care of younger siblings. I think in many ways, my younger two siblings, my youngest two siblings, did more of the caretaking of my mom though. So they were more parentified with my mom. I was parentified with younger siblings. So again, when there's two billion families across the planet, just keep in mind, it's hard to put them all into nice, neat categories. So let's talk about what the goals are in structural family therapy. So in structural family therapy, the main goals are establishing clear boundaries, shifting hierarchical structure, Structural family therapists are going to work to improve the separation between couples, children, parents, and other family members. It's part of kind of creating some healthy boundaries and healthy hierarchies. You know, they're going to be looking at making slight changes to the structure that can improve happiness and functioning. And as family members learn to adapt to new boundaries, they start to gain more respect for one another. And then sometimes that closeness starts to be more of a choice. Some of the terms that, you know, structural family therapists use, you're going to use the term mapping. Family therapists use structural maps to present how family members interact with one another. So we're going to do a map of the family and how, you know, the dynamic between the different family members. They might even ask each family member, if therapist has seen the whole family together, they might ask each family member to thoroughly describe the family problems. And, you know, they would have a boundary in place. There's no interrupting. There's no shaming or poking fun at aloud. And, you know, that each family member is fully allowed the freedom to speak what's on their mind. That's going to be somewhat unusual. Reframing is also a key concept. Reframing is a way to provide an alternate perspective to a certain thought. So, for example, maybe a therapist, you know, maybe a uh, dad has strict protectiveness over his daughter because he loves her, right? He's concerned and feels a responsibility for her safety. And so the therapist might reframe that and, and say, you know, if, if the daughter particularly feels like that's too much, that's too smothering, right? Kind of the therapist might say, hey, I, I think this is some fear coming from dad and you know he's feeling a lot of responsibility in making sure that you're safe. But yes, we might need to change how dad's fears then are expressed and in the strict boundaries and overprotectiveness. You know, or they might reframe a child who gets in trouble at school. They're talking too much. They're talking back to their teacher, right? They might say, you know, to that kid, like, "Hey, it really sounds like you." Have this want to express yourself and to have a voice. That's great. Having a voice is so important. I agree, you need to have a voice. You know, and they might also then start to work with that family member, understanding that their voice isn't more important than other people having a voice. Um, and so, as that becomes healthier, right, we would hopefully see more stability and balance around how often they're expressing themselves. So, reframing kind of takes the maybe pathological or negative or critical words that are coming from the family or family members and starts to create more solutions or kind of reframe them into, maybe here's the positive thing going on behind the scene so that we can start to view it in a way that it doesn't just cause pushback and rebellion. You know, it's kind of a way of softening some of the discomfort while also validating, yeah, that doesn't feel good. So I think when family members can believe that this other family member has good intentions, the system tends to feel safer and we start to be able to see that there's differences between family members and what I'm doing has an impact on the other. So as a result, structural family therapists are looking to have the members become less hostile less judgmental less critical and less self-serving another term used in structural family therapy is enactment enactment refers to families engaging and interacting with one another you know so sometimes we'll talk about this dynamic between the two of you but if i if i'm sitting in a session and i'm working with a family or even if i'm just working with a couple and i'm finding them a certain i'm observing and interaction with them, you know, I'll talk about this enactment that I'm observing, that I'm watching, how did that feel when they were enacting with you, rather than just talking through me. So usually when you know, we're getting them to enact with each other, it allows them to become more aware of their patterns. And it also allows the therapist to observe them more closely enactments can offer many insights, including how a couple or how family members relate with one another, you know, maybe how children feel talking to their parents and how parents respond to the kids or how parents talk with the kids or how different boundaries or triangles are affecting relationship satisfaction. And then another term is restructuring. So along with reframing, restructuring includes different techniques, that will disrupt the family's homeostasis because we're looking at their homeostasis is not really serving the family. So we need to disrupt that. So this might include exercises like setting boundaries, kind of temporarily unbalancing the family system. Maybe the therapist takes one person's side, kind of plays devil's advocate. Maybe the therapist heightens the emotion in order for everybody to really see the emotion that is there, but usually not always seen and not addressed. Sometimes heightening emotions can, again, help family members recognize the severity of their behaviors where you know it's not uncommon for families to run kind of on autopilot once these patterns are established and they might not recognize how much damage they're inflicting on someone until it's pointed out and everybody is seeing it. Now, usually that's happening once the family, once the therapist, I mean, has joined the family and been accepted into the family system. And so they're more likely to listen to the therapist's observations and take them in. I think it's important to say in structural family therapy, therapists are not trying to solve the family's problems. You know, they're they're making astute observations, which can be incredibly helpful in supporting family members to navigate this uncharted territory for themselves And they're encouraging family members to take ownership over making the changes you know the goals shouldn't be so far unrealistic that the family's not going to be able to meet them and instead structural family therapy aims to be realistic and feasible another thing is that we're shaping competence right shaping competence refers to acknowledging and praising positive behaviors you know in, in a way it's a sense of Positive reinforcement. So a therapist might reinforce a parent who is supporting their child, you know, or maybe if I'm watching a couple, I'll say like, good listening skills, good response. That's a great validation. I don't expect them to answer, right? But while they're in this enactment, I'm giving some praise for what I'm seeing that they're doing, right? And in that way, we're trying to influence or shape competence in the family system. This reinforcement usually encourages them to, you know, understand. Yeah, that's a good choice. That's what we're talking about. And it reinforces that they're capable of making these changes of doing these things in the way that the family member is going to respond well. Structural family therapy is going to deem a family functional when it manages to maintain cohesiveness or closeness among its members while also allowing for individual differentiation. And they're going to deem a family dysfunctional when either cohesiveness or differentiation is sacrificed for the sake of closeness. The ability to be in emotional contact with others and also be your own person is emotional functioning, right? It's the essence of the concept of differentiation, which I'm also going to talk about in a podcast episode. Michael J. Fox said, Family is not an important thing. It's everything. And I think when we're looking through the family lens for therapists, we understand that it's everything. It's the primary influence for a developing human being that shapes how they see themselves, shapes how they see the world, and shapes how they see themselves in the world. So I hope that this podcast has been helpful for you in maybe understanding Again, just another way to look at yourself, understand yourself, and a way to look at like how to move that more towards a middle ground of balance where I can have closeness, but not at the expense of being my own self. At the end of this episode, I want to remind you that your story matters. Remember, there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story until it's finished. Until next time, Jackie. The Legal Stuff. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and education and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. Prayer of the Perfectionist. Nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Help me to remember the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I'm not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.